0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Girls Gone Canon, episode twenty-three, Sansa: A Clash of Kings introduction, and Sansa 1, A Clash of Kings. I am one of your hosts. My name is Chloe. You may find me on the internet as at Lies Arbor on Twitter and on Tumblr.
1: And I am the other one of your hosts, Eliana. You can find me as Glass Table Girl on the Mesa Monthly. Podcast or the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit or even as arithmetic over on the Twitters.
0: Hey. Hey. We got to Clash of Kings.
1: We did it.
0: We finally oh got this
1: is our first chapter in Clash at all.
0: Honestly, a lot of people I know don't love Clash and I love Clash. I think Clash is amazing because it's like just like feast, like you're picking up all these pieces that just burst into air, you know?
1: I mean, I love all the books, of course, because that's why
0: yeah, I do here. a
1: weekly <laughs> podcast, as well as the other ones. But I am one of those people for whom Clash is my least favorite book.
0: Get out of this relationship.
1: I'm sorry. I'm tired.
0: I love Clash, dude.
1: Uh, we're breaking up. You can. It's fine. You can love Clash.
0: It has Blackwater in it. <laughs>
1: I just, I feel like the Blackwater doesn't have as much impact for me as it does for other people. I don't know.
0: It has everything you could want. It's got, like, Wildfire. It's got Sandor. It's got Tyrion. It's got <laughs> Are these Sansa. The things I want? It's got, I mean, I guess. Okay, no one wants Tyrion, let's be real, but. It has Davos. It has Davos. Like, it has explosions. It has singing and ladies and Sansa. <laughs> Mostly it has Sansa.
1: You make it sound like a Transformers movie. It's got explosions.
0: Blackwater as a Transformers movie go.
1: Uh Pacific Rim.
0: Oh my god, yeah, that's literally it. That's the story.
1: Pacific Rim, amazing,
0: award-winning
1: amazing. film. Actually my top 5 movies. It's not a joke. Like listeners, Pacific Rim is in fact one of my top 5 movies. We should do a cast about Pacific Rim anyways. Oh my god. But not the second movie.
0: <laughs> not the second betrayal we did get a couple good emails and a couple good tweets that we want to talk about some insights from some fellow a song of ice and fire enthusiasts i'm just gonna start calling myself that in a song of ice and fire enthusiast <laughs> enthusiast <laughs> we did get an email from one of our fans warren dudson on twitter uh and he said As for next week, it's Clash of Kings time, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on something I've discussed with Chloe before. Hey, that's me. The knight... That's me. The knight who appears at Joffrey's name day tourney. Who the hell is he? His sigils described in great detail. I do believe George intended more for him than changed his mind. Oh yeah, definitely. One notion I'd put forward, no evidence, just my hunch, is maybe George considered him to have a two-in, or supersede Sansa's rescue a la Dantos. I'm really keen to hear your takes on this. Well, Warren, we definitely did discuss this, you and I, and we actually have something to talk about with that a little later on, so guess stay tuned till after the jump. I do want to
1: react with the same way that Warren's like, who the hell is he? That's also how I feel. I'm like, you know that picture of the pigeon on the red carpet? Who is she? That's me. That's how I feel <laughs> about this man. <laughs> Alright, and next we also got a tweet from another lovely ass-off enthusiast, James V, (laughs) a.k.a. at Colee on Twitter, spelled C-O-A-L-I-E-E-E, and James says, "'Is it fair to say that Cersei's Red Keep assault on the Stark household is a sort of precursor to the Red Wedding?' Both incidents are planned by Lannisters, done in a place of relative safety, and chose to mostly murder everyone versus taking prisoners.
0: I like that insight. I didn't even like think about that for a minute, but the Lannisters are the Lannisters we know, right? Cersei thinks she has to live up to Tywin's legacy, and it also sets a precedent that Cersei and the Lannisters are more than willing to murder to cover things up, right? Like, a la the Sack.
1: Yeah, and I mean Cersei's still growing up in like a post Reigns of Castamere Tywin world, of course, and I mean it makes sense. It's it's such a perfectly encapsulated idea of like this is what the Lannisters learned as they were growing up. Some people learn to make muffins. They learn <laughs> to
0: murder. Can you imagine Tywin making muffins? No. I mean what what would he eat, do you think, flavor-wise? <sighs> I've never thought. I
1: don't know. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, poppy seed or.
0: Like something really plain.
1: Yeah. I feel like poppy seed would obviously be Sansa with her lemon poppy seed. Um, Oh, I love her. And Tywin would be like, I don't know, like a plain, plain muffin.
0: Tywin Lannister, a plain muffin.
1: The lion does not concern itself with the opinions of muffins.
0: And we did after last week, which I don't care whatsoever, but I did you know put up a little bit of a stink because of our one star <laughs> review that I don't care about. Uh, we did get a really nice review from a few people, but we're saving some of those for later. We have literal plans for them. And we got a review from our good friend Pat Spinagle, the Patman 23 on iTunes and he said, title. I should be shamed for not writing a review earlier. Five stars. <coughs> it is inexcusable that I did not review this podcast within the first week it aired, since its greatness was manifest at that time. Oh, Pat. Brilliant oh. Chloe and Luminous Eliana are doing a read through of A Song of Ice and Fire, not in the usual boring way, but are eschewing the constraints of strict chronology and are focusing on the characters in the series delightfully taking us through a selected character's journey through the narrative before resetting and following another. The character focus gets to the heart of the story in a refreshing way. Please, if you are jaded with the Song of Ice and Fire read-throughs, consider listening to Girls Gone canon and their unique approach. Seven above! You might even learn about Poetic Meter and will discover a newfound love for the Paragon that is strong Belos. Mm-hmm. Aw, True. Oh Pat, thank you. That was very kind. Of course, kind. thank you
1: so much, Pat. He makes us sound so shiny, brilliant Chloe and luminous Eliana. Like we're just emanating light.
0: Yeah, I was kind of wondering what's going on there. I kind of like it though. I like I it a lot. Like it.
1: Makes us sound like stars, like but not like like not like celebrity stars, but like literally a hot ball of gas just emanating light. That's what I feel like.
0: I mean, are you not?
1: And that brings us, of course, to. Sansa Stark and that that isn't what brought us to Sansa Stark we're just here now all right talking about Sansa Stark's A Clash of Kings storyline so here's an introduction to
0: that Sansa Stark in A Clash of Kings we just finished A Game of Thrones and very little time passes between A Game of Thrones and A Clash of Kings Sansa goes from being a princess with a golden prince and everything she wants in A Game of Thrones to watching her dreams die when her father's head topples down the steps of the Sept of Baelor. Last chapter was kind of a transitional chapter between the two, but truly, this is the beginning of the songs being over for Sansa in A Clash of Kings. It's the real world, right? Like, she's all alone in the real world now.
1: Yeah, but like, Chloe, like, what actually happens in this book? I don't know what happens in this book.
0: Well, Eliana, I am glad that you asked. Let me tell you. There's a lot that happens in this book, right? There is a huge power vacuum that's left when Robert dies, and Cersei immediately seizes hold of that. We also get for Sansa new mentorship in this book. So we get the Hound as a mentor in her life, whether it's pity he feels for her or her inherent childlike kindness and courtesy that she extends to him in a Game of Thrones. He begins to creepily protect her while also being like a scary drunk brute Right. And pretty creepy throughout the book. And I'm, I'm I love him, so I can say these things about him. You know, it's like he's mine. He's my child, so I'm allowed to say this about him. But he does something that we see reflect heavily, especially in this upcoming first chapter. He teaches her about how the world is harsh and that she needs to lie her ass off better and harder to survive. Another mentor that we move into a role with is Cersei in this book. If Game of Thrones was focused on Sansa's disenchantment in her rose-colored world, painted cherry with a perfect prince and queen on top, Clash of Kings is the illusion fully faded and waking up with a hangover. Faded. Get it? Because like she drinks a lot of wine. Yeah, that's
1: what I was thinking. They both do. Yeah.
0: Cersei's the embodiment of that in Sansa's plot, in this book especially. Sansa spends the whole first book thinking that Cersei's the perfect queen, the perfect role model, and the second book brings us The perfect queen is drunk and mean and cruel and scheming, and she's not virtuous and everything is just so broken and fucked up for Sansa right now. I feel so bad for her. Uh, Cersei being her mentor and even Sandra Clegane versus last book with her real mentor was Septimore Dane, right? Oh, that's kind of a weak mentor to have for a whole book. And, I mean Scepter Mordain just like, got like drunk and fell asleep and told Sansa her sister was wild and bad <laughs> and that Sansa needs to act better and she was like your dog's bad so like
1: is everyone drunk in like Sansa's storyline like the Sandra's always well, not always but Sandra gets drunk Cersei, yeah. Cersei's drunk a lot everybody's yeah. drunk
0: everybody's really drunk around Sansa all the time and she's like is this is this, this adulthood happening? yes it is it is said Eliana <laughs> drinking bourbon Cersei is dropping some really harsh truths throughout this book on Sansa, right? She's like, look, you are not really worth much because you're a woman and you need to grow some titties or it's going to be like off with your head. And Sansa's like, is this the real life? Oh, shit. And of course, Sandor's all like, my family died and I'm confused. and I think I have a crush on a prepubescent girl and I want to protect her because I'm like a psycho murder dog for the bad guys and my code is starting to break and I've had a hard life. So... It's really interesting to place her in the middle of these like killers in this book and she has to fend for herself, thrown to the lions. Storm to feast is very much her having the Tyrells and then Littlefinger as her mentor. And in a way, even a character we meet in this first chapter. In the meantime, I do also want to mention something that I'm going to link below for everyone. It's a classic and a favorite. It's an essay by Turtle Paste on Tumblr. If you haven't read it, you're missing out and it's about Sansa's intelligence. It's called Sansa Smart. Turtle Paste actually outlines it really well. There's no point going over all of it, but the way that we as readers absorb these books, it is easy to overlook certain details that prove Sansa's intelligence to us, right? We see a lot of that in this first chapter, so we'll be sure to point that out through the cast and we'll let you read Turtle Paste's essay for yourself and make your own decisions. But you do listen to us, so I mean you're gonna hear the right opinions no matter what.
1: You're gonna hear opinions.
0: The right opinions.
1: Yeah, that's true. But what if we have opposite opinions?
0: No, they're just right. Okay. Well we'll they'll
1: let's be, just like worry about that one. They will we be good opinions for sure though.
0: Oh yeah, they'll be correct <laughs> opinions.
1: <laughs> and because you know, we have good opinions and are therefore not ugly. <laughs> We're bad. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So another uh thing to think about as we go through a Clash of Kings, um, you know, since we're here, uh we get two sides of King's Landing through Sansa's storyline, of course, but also through Tyrion's and like it's shown a couple of times in this upcoming chapter. It's it's right there at the beginning. Can't miss it. What happens in the small council is very much removed from the reader. Like, Sansa has to find out what's happening through, like, third hand accounts. But by having Tyrion's POV, which is Tyrion coming to King's Landing, happens in this chapter, it gives us insight into what's happening amongst, like, those political players who are invested in the actual game. And that's one perspective of King's Landing but we also get it through Sansa's storyline and you know the inner politics of the court uh, the inner politics of like the small council and those players affects the rest of the court affects how things are in King's Landing and Sansa's storyline is also about how like things that are happening in the rest of the realm affect people at court like what sort of information we- what we get and that comes through Sansa's own observations and her analysis of them
0: Yeah, we spend a lot of time in Sansa's head in her chapters. So these kind of things through her head really give you a semblance of what her character is like. Last book, we didn't get her voice or her point of view until a little bit into the book, right? Like a quarter of the way in. And this book, we actually get it front and center. We got it after only two chapters, which is really showing us we're taking Sansa from like pawn to player, We're taking her from, you know, in the sidelines to front and center. She is a leading chapter. She is an important POV to have in this story.
1: Absolutely. And so that brings us to our lightning round so that we can get to the Sansa chapter.
0: It's very short. And speaking of lightning. Speaking
1: of lightning. In the prologue, a comet appears like blood streaked against a sky that's blue as the eyes of death, and the new king, well actually like a bazillion kings, emerge. Maester Crescent, who is a hashtag good man, has looked after and advised the Baratheons since they were young boys, but he finds himself incapable of advising both Renly and Stannis as kings, and he's unable to assimilate into Stannis's newfound comfort in the Red God. Attempting to save the realm from the flames, he slips poison into the goblet of Stannis' new companion, the Red Priestess Melisandre of Ashai. But the flames show Melisandre all, and the fires protect her, as we all watch piteously while Maester Crescent's throat closes up and his life force spills out of him.
0: It was really dramatic. It
1: was dramatic. This is, entire story is dramatic.
0: I think we really fed that one, you know, like you really brought that one home.
1: I really brought that one to life or or death. of yeah. Crescent.
0: I mean, because the night's dark and full of terrors.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In Arya 1, traveling toward home, Arya's disguised as a boy about to take the black among thieves and rapists. An orphan named Hot Pie attempts to steal Needle from her, but she beats him until he's bloody, earning a punishment, quote-unquote, from Yorin, where he takes her aside and tells her that her father was supposed to have been mercifully sent to the Wall, and something went wrong.
1: And that brings us to Sansa Stark, A Clash of Kings 1. It's Joffrey's name, the attorney!
0: Go, 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 shorty! It's your birthday. We're gonna party like it's a tourney. We're gonna sip a party like it's a tourney. You know, we don't give a fuck. It's Joffrey's birthday. This party
1: sucks. Yes. (laughs) I love that song. Uh, This party sucks, though, and Joffrey hates it. Everybody's bad at jousting, especially that drunk knight over there, Sir Dantos. And Joffrey sentences Dantos to death by drowning in wine. But Same. Sansa saves the that's adulthood. But Sansa saves the knight's life, turning him into a fool. Then another Lannister shows up, and three out of four Lannisters in this chapter are pleased about it. But the Ur are all still lions, and Sansa will never trust them again.
0: So good. So good. So we open a Joffrey's name date, and it's bright and it's windy, and there's this like very visible streak in the sky that is a comet. Sir Aerys Oakheart, who we have talked about and met previously before in Arian chapters, comes to bring Sansa to the tourney. She asks him what he thinks it means, and he tells her like this bullshit line that the small folk have named it Joffrey's Comet, and it means glory to him. He'll triumph over his enemies. Lol. Doubtless that was what they told Joffrey. Sansa was not so sure. The servants call it the dragon's tail, she remarks. King Joffrey sits where Aegon the Dragon once sat, in the castle built by his son, Sir Ares said. He is the dragon's heir, and crimson is the color of House Lannister, another sign. This comet is sent to herald Joffrey's ascent to the throne, I have no doubt. It means he will triumph over his enemies. Okay, is he a Cancer, (laughs) do you think? Is that what that is? Or a Virgo? Like, I don't, anyways.
1: Wait, Ares, Okard? I don't know. Maybe. I don't he's think cancer. I know. I, uh, that would explain why I have, like, some affection for him because my best friend's a cancer. My partner's a cancer, so.
0: I actually don't really know. I didn't know that. I just kind of, like, said it because it made me laugh because it made me think of how he's, like, and the comet's red, like House Lannister, which is a sign. What?
1: <laughs> I don't know what it's a sign for. Like, this is this is some flawed ass logic, though, <laughs> Aries, to get it to, like, mean Joffrey. I, I I also, though, think there is a logic here, and it fits a lot for something, right? It just doesn't fit for Joffrey. Like, this idea of a dragon's tail, and if it's, like, heralding something, like, a dragon's heir, as he says. And crimson, uh, sure, color of House Anister, but also color of maybe, like, House Targaryen. I don't know. What if it means that and not Joffrey?
0: Oh, here's another one. What if it means you know, Ned Nishara's son, Aegon? My god. Leave me alone. (laughs) I can't. I can't leave you alone. You
1: can't you can't you can't take that back. You know you don't mean that.
0: Nope, it's Ned Nishara's son, Aegon. Who was switched at birth. My god. With Jon Snow. The other Aegon.
1: After we did all of these ned chapters together and this is truly you have the traitor's blood chloe
0: eliana would never make that mistake again
1: (laughs) sansa wonders how the gods could be so cruel same dealing with this her entire family is now joffrey's enemies um she wonders if like what Joffrey's gonna actually come for her mother and her brother too. And you know what, the gods are indeed cruel. And Joffrey doesn't kill them, but I guess Lannister plans to because you all know this. Like we've we've all read these books before. Holy
0: shit, they they made books of this show?
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're based on the show.
0: Dude, I love that Game of Thrones show. It's so cool they made the books.
1: (laughs) Why are we like this today?
0: The comet was red, but Joffrey was Baratheon as much as Lannister, and their sigil was a black stag on a golden field. Shouldn't the gods have sent Joff a golden comet? Sansa's oh, so smart. I'm so proud of her.
1: She is, and also a golden comet would have been pretty cool to look at.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, not if it's Joffrey, though.
1: That's true, but he's not a Baratheon. Arya's compliment Sansa on how lovely she looks. She took extra special measurements to look perfect. She's wearing a moonstone hairnet that Joffrey gifted her, and pale purple silk with sleeves to hide the bruises on her arms that she says were a gift from Joffrey as well.
0: Yeah, it's, of course, a sign she's wearing pale purple silk, which is very expensive fabric, not cheap, not something that she would have come by, you know, very easily in the north. So it's kind of an important dress she's putting on her finest again here. When Joffrey heard Rob was proclaimed king in the north, he ordered Boros Blount to beat Sansa. And this chapter kind of shoves it under the carpet and like sidles by it, just like when we talked about Maester Pycelle last episode. But it, it's a big reminder, like this isn't just a scene in the show where Sandor and Tyrion show up and save her that time she almost gets beat, like, or keeps getting beat. Like, it, it, it's every day for her. This is everyday life. Like, she thinks how every single one of these King guard has pretty much hit her. Like, this is- This is every day.
1: Yeah. Like, speaking of every single one of those king's guard hitting her, like- So, Ares escorts Sansa to the tourney, and she thinks that she prefers him over the others, because Boros, apparently, is short-tempered. Which, I don't know. And as you all know, Marin Trant is very cold, especially when it comes to hitting her, and Mandon Moore has strange dead eyes. It- yeah, it's
0: weird.
1: Same. Uh, and Sir Preston treats her like an idiot. But at least I Ari's, about Preston
0: existing.
1: Yeah, he he comes up again, I guess, in this chapter, but I was like, oh yeah, that's a person.
0: He was a Kingsguard, I guess.
1: Yeah. And yeah, at least Ares is always courteous towards Sansa. And he like even objects to beating her at Joffrey's command once.
0: Yeah, he still hit her, but not as hard as the rest sansa thinks like hey at least he argued at least he tried you know none of the other ones ever did that and the others always obey joffrey no questions asked but joffrey has never asked the hound to punish her so that kind of begs the question would sandor have broken earlier if joffrey had asked him to beat sansa do you think i think joffrey also like knew better than to ask him to hit her a man has to have a code and to have the most ferociously drunk badass fighter on your side. You know he won't do certain things, like be a knight or hit your girlfriend, so
1: Yeah. And and along with what you said Um I I think that there's something else going on here. It, it it's a little bit of what you say, but we're gonna come back to it later in this chapter. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, Sansa good. Get it? Um, Mm Nope. Nope. I'm I'm moving. Sansa thinks that Arya looks very dashing in his outfit. Arya is wearing his white Kingsguard cloak fashioned with a golden, a golden leaf.
0: Yeah, this is different from the rest of the Kingsguard. It really stands out, especially after we just heard that he kind of put up a fight when trying to hurt Sansa while the other Kingsguard members that we've seen have all had lion clasps on their cloaks, right? Like Marin and Boros. Ares has an oak tree that's worked into his tunic with gold thread. Sansa asks who he thinks is going to win the tourney, right? And he is like, uh, I am, duh, like cocky. But he says it's not going to be a worthy triumph because there's actually no more than 40 people that are entering the lists. And that's including squires and free riders. So it's kind of kind of a low point for him in this tourney. He finds no honor in unhorsing young, fresh boys, which is funny because he's pretty young and fresh.
1: Yeah, Ariane thinks he's fresh. Um...
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking that Ariane thinks he's so young and fresh and he's over here going I'm not gonna unhorse young fresh boys. You are a young fresh boy. Stop. <laughs> He's so fresh. Uh,
1: <laughs> and I mean, Arya still ultimately gives in and he does, again, as we discussed that dishonorable thing of hitting Sansa. But we can see a bit of setup for that knight that we saw in Aryan's chapters who are like, who's like super wracked with guilt because he slept with her. And in some ways I think that Arya is kind of like Barristan Selmy, right? He like has that code. He still ends up not fully living up to it entirely and staying with a shitty regime, but, like, Barristan doesn't because he's, like, fired. Um, but they go along with some of the shitty things that's happening. Ares is a little more complicit because he does hit Sansa, um, whereas Barristan's more of just, like, a standing aside, like, I guess we're killing kids now. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's because Arya does still value that idea of honor and chivalry that he's so torn up about sleeping with Ariane. And it's also interesting, you know, that the... The chapters we see them in are Sansa's and Aryan's, the chapters we did before this, since, you know, we, like, compared them and stuff.
0: Sansa really compares this tourney to the Majesty of the Hands tourney, but it's so different. High lords and champions littered the city during that tourney, and everybody, like even the small folk, came out to watch the events. She thinks on how splendid it was, she thinks on the silk pavilions, on night shields, on sunlight, on steel, and feasts, and songs, but those days are all over. The king's dead, her dad's dead, beheaded on a holy ground, and war is now raging past the trident. She thinks that it's no surprise they're holding the tournament within the walls of the keep. The tourney of the hand was straight out of the songs, but now life's not a song, and they're at war.
1: Sansa asks if Cersei is going to be attending the tourney because, to quote, Sansa always felt safer when Cersei was there to restrain her son, which, like, damn.
0: Except for that one time.
1: Yeah, except for that one time, but, like, that says but something. She, couldn't. she doesn't like Cersei. She knows that Cersei can't restrain Joffrey fully, but to still take uh, some solace in Cersei being there to hold Joffrey back a little, like.
0: Yikes. That really talks about. Like the gravity of the situation and how bad it's become.
1: Yeah. Apparently Cersei's not there because there's a small council meeting, which is urgent business. Because uh, and we get we get a little snippet of some current affairs that we didn't know. I I, I don't think we knew right at the end of game. No,
0: we didn't know this. Yeah. Uh, this is and this goes with the gap that you talk about that you know Tyrion has to fill that gap of having that point of view in King's Landing, because we don't get everything from Sansa. Sansa doesn't see everything. This is the first she's hearing of this. She is kept very much in the dark in her tower.
1: Exactly. And so we learn a little bit of things that are going on. And it's that Lord Tywin has gone to ground the Terran Hall instead of bringing his army to the city as the Queen commanded. And I love this like uh, little tidbit here that Ares added, because apparently Ares is a huge gossip. According to Sansa, not huge, but she calls him a gossip, so he's probably a huge gossip. Anyways, he goes, "Her Grace is furious."
0: <laughs> Can you imagine what a cutie he is? Because he's just so lonely, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll talk to this little twelve-year-old girl. Whatever." She's probably really sad, so she, she I imagine wants him to like Jason Mendoza. Oh yeah, like, you're oh like, my god, doing King's Landing too.
1: Oh my god, he is Jason Mendoza, though. Think about hot it, hot and stupid, hot, stupid, does like bad things, which is you know.
0: We're not, we're, not, we're not
1: going to spoil the entire, like... Yeah. We can't yeah. spoil the premise of the show, but anyways.
0: Yeah, watch The Good Place. It's really good. It's really good. <laughs> Get it. There aren't really a lot of people at this tourney. Most of them are already in the employ of House Lannister, or their lords and ladies seeking to buy favor from them. So you've got a pretty, like, C-list lineup. Okay, you got <laughs> Lord Giles Rosby, who's just, like, coughing and dying. He... <laughs> He has no immediate heir, you know? Like, he's had two wives and, like, no kids. Uh, Lady Tanda, Lawless, and Felice, the Stokeworth family. Giles and the Stokeworths actually are some of those vague background Crownland characters that we get that come into their own kind of throughout the series as supporting characters. But it's really interesting because even in, like, the world of Ice and Fire, me and Dop John from Twitter were just discussing, we don't get a lot of real Crownlands insight or characters for a region that should be so rich with history because, you know, the crown resides there. We don't get a lot of it besides the Defiance of Duskendale, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Uh, Lady Tanda is actually Giles Rosby's second wife's aunt, weirdly enough. So they're all kind of related over there in the crown lands. Uh, not a lot of leadership besides, you know, the crown being there. We also meet Jalabarjo, Who, if you remember from the first book at the first tourney, Jane was kind of frightened of because, you know, she's from the north and she's very sheltered. It's our first exiled prince echo in this story. Right. Uh, In this chapter, I mean, this reminds me a a little bit of when we used to talk about Robert as a sellsword exiled kind of plot in Ned's chapters where Robert kind of, you know, interestingly enough, said like, oh, like I would go to the free cities and I would fucking fight forever. Uh, and we also see some exiled princes in Viserys, and of course in Aegon eventually too. Mm-hmm. Lady Armasanda, the heir to House Hayford, is also there, but she's like a babby. <laughs> she's literally like an infant. How right? is babby formed? Babby form. And this is another one of those background crown lands characters and houses. Uh, the Lannisters marry her off to Tyrek Lannisters so they can increase their monopoly on the market in this book, which, of course, is a very Lannister thing.
1: Get Tyrek! Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, I can't resist every time. I just... I'm trying to make it a thing, you know?
0: I understand. I understand. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um, Joffrey's sitting. He's at, he's at the tourney. He's on a fancy chair, and he's lounging with Merrell and Tommen behind him. And the Hound is here, too. He's also... Wearing a white cloak now. Also. Um, it Aww, apparently looks kinda baby. apparently it looks kinda funny on him.
0: Yeah, especially with his like woolen model. Like he's not wearing a fancy Kingsguard armor. He's just like wearing dun, brown dun.
1: Yeah, he's like mixing his fabrics up in a way that like just doesn't work.
0: It's it's sweet. He's trying. He's yeah. trying.
1: He's just like what I, I, I think what is cute is that he's not trying. He's like, whatever. I wear this now, I guess. It's
0: like wearing Converse to prom.
1: Yeah, I, what what is it with people, like, shitting on converses lately? I'm a converse Well, I mean, person. I'm just
0: saying, it's it's literally a thing. Like, yeah, I will on the homecoming one year. It's not edgy. Settle down, you know?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Joffrey is, again, lounging, and him resting easy, I think, shows a little bit of how unworthy he is of being king. Especially when, like, Aegon the First philosophy was all about how a king should never rest so easy. And that's why his chair is, like, a lot-
0: Right. I mean, also, like, all of the weapons of his enemies and shit, but...
1: <laughs> I'm going to sit on the weapons of my enemies.
0: And toast their tears. Nice. The Hound, of course, greets Sansa when she walks up, and Tommen is super, super excited to see her. He's so cute, bless him. No. And he is all like, I'm gonna ride today, Sansa. He reminds her of Bran, and Sansa thinks on how she misses her brother a lot, which... I love that line. It's Tommen was all of eight. He reminded her of her own little brother, Bran. They were of an age. Bran was back at Winterfell, a cripple yet safe. Sansa would have given anything to be with him. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> My baby. It hurt. I hurt.
1: It's a good um, reminder, though, like because we keep thinking like, oh, Tommen, he's so cute and small. And then like Bran's POV is super like, oh dark so many things happening, but it's a good reminder of like on the outside this is who bran is like this is who how bran acts like despite all that interiority he's an eight-year-old kid
0: i mean think it makes you think of him again like that Mm -hmm. you think of them and the gods would praying for him uh with ned her Arya, and ned and like thinking about like will bran get to be a knight someday and it it wasn't always him in a cave eating his best friend you know like yeah it wasn't always that
1: yeah and I think they're right. Bran and Tommen would have gotten along really well.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh. Imagine if they had been allowed as a family, like to to interact and not have this weird rivalry between all the boys. It, it, it's kind of sad. Like I could see them all getting along really well.
1: Yeah. If Joffrey's just not there, and then we have this like AU where like Brandon and Tommen are being BFFs, and it's the cutest. It's yeah, BFFs. and like
0: Jaime didn't throw Bran out of a window. Yeah. And Cersei's not fucking her brother. Yeah. And Robert's not, like, a drunken lecher.
1: A very, very AU.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, like, if you changed the entire story, all of it. And
1: we just had two nice little boys.
0: You know, we could just write a new story.
1: It's called Stranger Things now. (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. they're, They're too old. They're too old. It's the Sandlot. I love that movie. Okay, Sansa. So she does take Tommen seriously, despite how adorable he is about this. And she doesn't treat him like a little boy, saying that she worries about him riding. And I'm, I'm going to just throw this out there. I think Sansa being mindful to not infantilize or like treat Tommen like a little boy and taking him seriously is because she thinks about how everyone's been treating her as dumb or like a little girl and stupid.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting to look at how it happens here. And where she goes when she goes to the Vale and how patient she has to be with Robert Aaron, mm-hmm. uh, especially in comparison to her with her own brothers. Right. It's a very interesting difference of how she interacts with these people. And she also kind of gives like later on in this chapter a bit of like a maternal, you know, sister in lawly talk with Tommen. And it's interesting. It's just very sweet. And it's nice to get to see her just be a kid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So unlike Sansa, Joffrey's being like a huge butt. He's all like, the foe is made of straw. And you see, have <laughs> Joffrey over here, though. He's like super decked out and in super intense armor. Like he's going to war right away and he's not fighting anyone, which kind of shows how immature Joffrey is.
0: Yeah, war is not a game and he's choosing his armor like a fashion statement. Mm-hmm. This is his 13th name day and Sansa notices how much he looks like the Lannisters. It's interesting that she really often strays really close to the truth of his parentage accidentally. Her observational skills are amazing. And while that, of course, could be akin to her as a camera for us, for the reader, it's also super telling of her characterization and what she as a character pays attention to.
1: Mm-hmm. And Joffrey's also pleased that Sansa's wearing this hairnet that he gave her. And I don't know that George R. R. Martin knew yet that Sansa was going to be part of the plot to kill Joffrey because, you know, hashtag gardening with this, like, amethyst hairnet, maybe. But it, it's an interesting setup, if it is a thing.
0: Yeah, I I go I back know. and forth about it. At least it sets a precedent for, like, her wearing them and that it's a normal, like, she would wear these regularly at court or at, like, events. Like, these are... It's in fashion. It's in style. So it's something that like when we see it again, it kind of makes it a little, you know, ordinary. It's like, oh, yeah, it's just a hairnet. Whatever. For sure. He gave her a really nice hairnet, you know. Sansa is really relieved that Joffrey decided to play gallant today. He was being very, you know, Joffrey-esque. Only, I don't know, whatever. He (laughs) reveals news has finally reached King's Landing that Viserys is dead. So, of course, that makes him all joyful because he gets off on being hateful. He says some asshole things about Rob. It's almost as good as if some wolf had killed your traitor brother. Maybe I'll feed him to the wolves after I caught him. Did I tell you I intend to challenge him to single combat?
1: Sansa's all like, I would really like to see that. And this, together with that earlier line about Joffrey taking Sansa's mother and brother, like Rob, You know, how he would take them away, too. And would the gods be so cruel? I wonder if this is some 1993 letter shit, because what if the gods were that cruel? Like, yes, we know that Rob was more experienced and a better fighter than Joffrey. But in the 1993 letter, they had Joffrey fighting Rob and, like, chopping his hand off. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, so... Sansa says to Joffrey that she would like to see that, and she internally thinks, like, more than you know. And then Joffrey basically is that picture of Fry from Futurama. You know the meme where, like, his eyes are also going he's like, can't tell if mocking or serious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, something interesting there, too, is in just a couple pages, Tyrion does similarly, right? He says something that's intended, like, double meaning. Something clever to hurt the king. And Sansa listens intently to see if Joffrey catches Tyrion mocking him. And she's kind of gauging with, you know, like what she can get away with and what Tyrion can get away with. She's kind of learning where that threshold is.
1: Mm -hmm. And Turtle Pace brings this up. The fact that George, like, wrote both of these incidents in one chapter shows that Sansa being able to get one over on Joffrey like that is not a fluke.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, she is keeping up with Tyrion, and if Tyrion is so clever, like everyone thinks, I mean.
1: Yeah. It... And cleverness. Mm hmm. Joffrey, however, is not allowed to join the list, even though it's his name day tourney, according to Circe. And since, you know, we are thinking about the arc of A Clash of Kings. I think that this act is something that we're going to see echoed towards the end end of Sansa's chapters in this book. Like, we see here how Joffrey's like super eager to fight because he's like, oh, everyone's stupid. I'm an armor. I'm the best. But he's actually not ready for it. And he's forbidden from joining these green boys playing at war in the tourney, just as Cersei is again going to forbid him from taking further part in the Battle of the Blackwater.
0: Hound makes fun of Joffrey and he's like, sure, yeah, you'd probably win against these guys. Joff, of course, so badly wants to. And everyone is like, Joffrey, you're an idiot. I hope you didn't just notice that I just called you an idiot out loud. Oh my god. Like, everybody hates him. It's great. It is. It contrasts with what Ares Oakheart said earlier about the green boys and poor. And it goes well with what Sandor says next that it's a tournament of gnats. Joffrey's like, I should have Sandor kill the champion.
1: Sandor's <laughs> <What>? like, what? <laughs> Everyone's like, what? <laughs> Why was this your idea?
0: It's like kids say really stupid shit, and thirteen-year-old boys say stupid shit. But then, like, what? What's that? This is some what? next
1: next level <laughs> stupid shit. Like, what? Um, and is just like, Joffrey was very fond of making men fight to the
0: death. What a winner! <laughs> Especially like with wine barrels. Which is what I did last night. I fought to the death. It was a drop. I don't know. I think the wine won.
1: <laughs> and so we're reminded um, by the text. I don't know if we're like reassured this. Because I don't know. It's a new book. It's a new time. Re- Joffrey's king. Everything's different. The hound is like still not a knight
0: this chapter very much so does do a lot of stage setting, right? For the book, it reminds you like, hey, and we're at the tourney and Joffrey is a dick. And he, by, yeah, by the way, he likes when people kill each other. It's his thing. And the hound's still here and he's still gruff and the Kingsguard are still beating Sansa. And this is what's happening. It, it's a lot of like, here you are back in the books that you just read.
1: Welcome back. Joffrey's holding Sansa's hand and... She thinks yeah. of how before that would have like made her super excited, and now it's just repulsive. We have a couple of people enter the yard, and Sirimirin Tran comes in. He sucks, but his horse sounds pretty dope. It's like a milk white charger with gray flowing hair. I want you all to think about <laughs> it. The Redmine twins enter horse symbolism. Yeah. Horse facts. Again. The Redmine twins enter, and we learned that they're actually also being held hostage the same way that Sansa is. And she thinks it's kind of weird that they've been like forced into this journey because she knows that it's not their idea. Hober loses his uh his tilt and his sur- his brother Horace runs out to him.
0: Also, sidebar it reminds me of Ember and Umber. Anyways
1: In the, um, the Magicians, magicians?
0: Just like the names. Oh,
1: okay, okay. You know,
0: like Horus and...
1: Got it. Clobber. Got it. Uh,
0: and of course, there's like blood and cheese and shit too, I guess, but... Next up, we have Balin Swan versus Moros Slint. So Sansa thinks, and Moros is... Of course, he is the... Is he the son? He is the son. Janos. He is Janos Slint's son. And Sansa thinks, I hope he falls and shames himself, she thought bitterly. I hope Balan kills him. When Joffrey proclaimed her father's head, it had been Jano Slint who seized Lord Eddard's severed head by the hair and raised it on high for king and crowd to behold, while Sansa wept and screamed.
1: Ugh. Ugh. Slint sucks. He deserves everything, yeah. every night, maybe. Um, anyways. Honestly, it kind of is interesting how similar Sansa and Arya, in my opinion, become in the sense. Like they fiercely wish for death, for anyone who's wronged them in their family. And and even, like, those who kind of, who are peripheral, like, Moros, but they're similar like that.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting character moment because Sansa, it's the first time she lets the hate truly <laughs> flow through her for a second, right? She's feeling the dark side. She's like, I hope he dies, like, his dad killed my dad. But, of course, it's a whole nother thing because Sansa also preaches of mercy. And, you know, she could be dead just like her dad, but she somehow survives and gets through it and like, you know, she's her dad's obviously not Jano Slint, thank God. But
1: uh though, I mean, this is like canon though, right? For Sansa to become, to let the dark side flow through her, become Darth Sansa. Like, that's what we saw at the end of season four of Game of Thrones, when she wears all black, right?
0: That's what our podcast's about, isn't it? Yeah. It's- Moros has no idea what he's doing because his father his father isn't highborn, so he like just falls. Immediately in the tourney, which
1: is kind of weird. Like, yeah, Jano Slint sucks. We all hate Janelle Slint. I don't think we're gonna stop doing that. But I mean, Moros. We don't know enough of him. Like, he he also kind of sucks. And like, may- maybe we don't know. And
0: maybe just don't be born, Moros. May-
1: maybe. And I mean, Sansa gets what she wishes to happen to him a little, not not entirely. He doesn't die, but like. Even if Janos was the one who committed the shitty thing, do we know enough about Moros to be like he's, like, that bad? I mean, like, yeah, he testifies Mm -hmm. against... Falsely against Tyrion, so we we know he's lying. But bear with me a second. Like, the reason that Moros, like, in my opinion... Not in my opinion. Like, he obviously gets owned so terribly. It's not because he's a shitty person and therefore a shitty fighter. It's because he's never gotten like that same education and that same training as knights like Sir Balan Swan. Like he's completely out of his league here. And he's he ends up getting dragged by a horse and bloodied and severely injured <laughs> because, like, what? He was too lowborn. Like, that's kind of shitty. Like, I don't yeah. it I it's this mixture of like, yes, maybe it's the Slints family's hubris catching up to them in situations like this where they'll you know, die, but it, it's kind of weird.
0: It's also like the sins of our father that that thematic arc of like, you know, why should you suffer for the sins of your father? And that's what a lot of our main characters do throughout the books, right? Look at John. Look at Danny. Uh, look at Sansa suffering for the sins of her dad, which Ned not, did nothing wrong. Ish, he did a couple things wrong, but
1: but nothing it, bad, like nothing ethically bad, really.
0: Right, and we don't know Moros, and I do think. It has some strong parallels as well to Sir Hugh with a veil dying in the tourney, and it's a whole different echo from the first tourney, which was like this beautiful event, in the second tourney, which has become this sham of a tourney. Right? This is just like totally a sham, and she's just like shows up, and she's like, "This is literally like this party is not lit," and <laughs> Moros like gets his ass beat, and she's just like, "Good, I hope you frickin' die." Like, screw you, screw your family. We're the last one. She was like. There'll be no song sung about this handsome young knight. Like, that's so sad. Now she's like, good. You don't get a song. Like, screw you. Screw your dad. Like, you don't have a dad. You don't know.
1: Yeah, exactly. And what you said about Sansa being like, this party is not lit. It makes me think of, is the theme song for this chapter Al- Alicia Kara's here? Yes. Think about it. All right. I think it is. All right. Thank you for humoring me for that.
0: You're welcome.
1: Morris gets super beat up, and Sansa's horrified that the gods might have heard her prayer. And then, so, Horus goes up now. Horace, the twin brother of H- Hobber, And he does better against this elder knight with a sigil of silver griffins on a blue-white field. And again, who is she?
0: Mm-hmm. So, Warren, uh has mentioned before that he thinks it could have been a mystery knight, but... It's really not a mystery knight. It's just some dude with that griffin as his sigil, right? Which is a pretty prominent kind of sigil. He's literally a nobody, though. Maybe he's a random elder knight from the Crownlands that has, like, no backstory besides Defiance or Targaryens, or, you know, like, maybe he's something like that, just someone from the Crownlands. Uh, I do think that there's some merit in what Warren said that maybe it was seeds planted and it just never... Ever got wound up going anything from there?
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely how it's written. Like I can see why it feels that way because I even I was just like, "Well, is this guy significant? Am I missing something?" Hmm. Joffrey starts to get bored though, and that worries Sansa because when Joff Joff's mood darkens, he becomes horrible, and that means he hurts Sansa. But then you know the party the party starts to get a little bit. Better because then my boy Oh oh my boy Lothar Brun comes in. We talk about what he's wearing, his plate is dented. You know, he, he actually he actually does things and bless him. Bless my boy. Loth- I mean Lothar it Brun. is
0: interesting how he's written here because again, this is totally a seed that George ended up planting and using. There's no sigil, no nothing. You know, it's just Lothar Brune is just a free rider. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to go up and battle Sir Dantos, who shows up and he is just a mess. Not even a hot mess, just a mess.
1: Finally, a chestnut stallion trotted into view yeah. in a swirl of crimson and scarlet silks, but Sir Dantos was not on it. The knight appeared a moment later, cursing and staggering, clad in breastplate and plumed helm and nothing else oh,
0: man.
1: his legs were pale and skinny and his manhood flopped about obscenely as he chased after his horse the watchers roared and shouted insults Mean catching his horse by the bridle, Sir Dantos tried to mount but the animal would not stand still and the knight was so drunk that his barefoot kept missing the stirrup
0: I think I've had some bad dreams about this
1: Is this For happening personally. to you?
0: Probably, like, this is, like, what a nightmare is made of, right? It is. Like, showing up to school, forgetting your clothes.
1: Yeah. Oh, this is literally that.
0: Yeah. And except you're, like, drunk and you can't get on your horse. Like, ugh.
1: Then it really happens.
0: I keep talking about these background Crownlands characters and stories, and this is the only person left in King's Landing from Major Crownlands' plot. Dantos, if you haven't figured or recalled, is the only survivor of House Hollard his life was spared the defiance of Duskendale by none other than our favorite Sir Grandfather, Barristan Selmy, who just recently left the capital, right? So after the Lord of House Darkland took Ares hostage and Barristan slayed some fucking Crownlands asshole to get in there and rescue Ares, he's all, Ares, like, can you spare this tiny, fat baby's life? And that fat baby was Dantos because, you know, like innocence and Save the children and themes and motifs. So Sansa, who of course names Barristan at the grounds of the Trident and observed Barristan's dismissal just a chapter ago in heavy sympathy, pulls this one out of her pocket later on. And it's a very important moment and effect, especially for her time in King's Landing.
1: Everyone's laughing, though, except for Joffrey, who has the same look in his eyes as the day when he sentenced Ned to death. Dantos, though, is like, fuck this, I can't do this, I'm gonna go back to drinking. Me. Yeah, I know, like, the way that Dantos handled this, I was like, hmm, yep, yeah, sounds big about mood. right. Yeah, big mood. Joffrey, though, is like, you are gonna keep drinking to the death! <laughs> <laughs> he, it would have actually been cooler if he said it like that. Um, Anyways, but he means to drown Dantos in a cask of wine.
0: It's interesting that... All day, Sansa has been thinking about how he's getting testier, right? How Joffrey's getting madder, she's walking on eggshells, and this is, like, where the payoff of that built-up anxiety goes. It breaks right here.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And we're just gonna- we're just gonna read this passage because it's the best.
0: There's a lot of pressure, but I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Sansa heard herself gasp. No, you can't! Joffrey turned his head. What did you say?! sansa could not believe she had spoken was she mad to tell him no in front of half the court she hadn't meant to say anything only Sir dantos was drunk and silly and useless but he meant no harm did you say i can't did you please sansa said i only meant it would be ill luck your Grace, to to kill a man on your name day.
1: You're lying, Joffrey said. I ought to drown you
0: with him if you care for him so much. I don't care for him, Your Grace, the words tumbled out desperately. Drown him or have his head off, only kill him on the morrow if you like. But please, not today, not on your name day. I couldn't bear for you to have ill luck. Terrible luck, even for kings, the singers all say so. Joffrey scowled. He knew she was lying.
1: She could see it. He would make her bleed for this.
0: The girl speaks truly, the hound rasped. What a man sows on his name day he reaps throughout the year. His voice was flat, as if he did not care a whit whether the king believed him or no. Could it be true? Sansa had not known, it was just something she'd said, desperate to avoid punishment.
1: Unhappy, Joffrey shifted in his seat and flicked his fingers at Sir Dantos. Take him away! I'll have him killed on the morrow, the fool!
0: He is, Sansa said. A fool! You're so clever to see it. He's better fitted to be a fool than a knight, isn't he? You ought to dress him in motley and make him clown for you. He doesn't deserve the mercy of a quick death. The king studied
1: her a moment perhaps you're not so stupid as mother says he raised his voice did you hear my lady dantos from this day on you're my new fool you can sleep with moon boy and dress in motley
0: sir dantos sobered by his near brush with death crawled to his knees thank you your grace and and you my lady thank you
1: do not know the feeling of just suddenly being sobered up by something Like this podcast, (laughs) as we've been seeing though throughout uh, this 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 episode, Joffrey's not wrong. Sansa is not so stupid, as Joffrey says. Because she's demonstrating quick wittedness here, and it's just so fast that we don't even see her think on it. Like The way that this scene is written, the text is very deliberate, it's going straight into Sansa's dialogue rather than drawing the reader through that thought process of like, oh, how is she going to deal with this situation? Because that would slow down the scene, and would actually make Sansa seem slower rather than her intuitively being able to respond. So the reader is left with that impression, right? That Sansa has an instinctual understanding of what people's motivations are, and both she. and the reader know that like joffrey is self-absorbed enough that he's not going to turn down a compliment he's not about to contradict himself so sansa takes joffrey's words and she twists them so that it becomes joffrey's own idea and she like flatters him to make him more receptive to it and be like oh you're so smart and sansa also closes this by ascribing values to the different sorts of punishment like death isn't as bad as this prolonged punishment and rather than drown him quickly joffrey should draw it out for the rest of Dantes's life making it so humiliating because death would be a mercy and this is actually something that for Sansa to come up with this it shows her shows um how well she observed and learned who joffrey is because we get this image of joffrey from the end of a game of thrones Joffrey tells Sansa that he was actually being very merciful in his execution of Ned because he gave Ned a swift death. And that had he not been merciful, he would have tortured and drawn out Ned's death for a long time. So Sansa's playing on that inclination of um, Joffrey here. Yeah,
0: she's really gunning for survival for both her and Dantos. And it's interesting because it really shows an aptitude for how she understands people and how much she's observing. Sansa's not acting out she's not extrovert she's not talking often she's staying quiet keeping her head down and just hoping not to get hit
1: joffrey though is like done with this shit and he's like game's over everyone go home
0: and tommen is so party. upset because he's like no 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 i'm supposed to ride against the straw man oh. and joffrey's like no and tommen's all i want to mom said i could And Marcella's all like, yeah, mom (laughs) said he could, Joffrey. And then Joffrey mimics him and mocks him. And Joffrey's (laughs) like, you guys are being so childish. And I love this line from Marcella. She says, we're children. We're supposed to be childish.
1: And as you said, it's so adorable. It's like perfect, like small, like children's siblings bickering. But also... Marcella, one of the best clapbacks in like this whole Yeah, even
0: Sandor is like he laughs because we should all be laughing at that. Like, got him. Sandor's like, wait, wait, wait. Mm -hmm. Sandor's like, burn. (laughs) Too soon. Too soon. Too
1: soon. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that was actually just water thankfully. Yeah. (laughs) That is almost what happened It's really
0: sad to think of Marcella and how like she could have been a ruler in her family. You know, man, like, she could have been a very sweet ruler with good sense and grown up to beastling, but because of vengeance and the Game of Thrones, she's gonna end up fated for death.
1: Yeah, in this great AU, right? She's good friends with Sansa and everything works out great. And honestly, this is just how I felt, like, reading this entire portion of this chapter, thinking of, like, our, that we our birthed. babies, Tommen and Marcella. Yeah, Out of incest we made somehow
0: these.
1: yes and I disagree oh because we're the hallelujah oh, sisters but also wives
0: sister wives birth and Tommen
1: yeah <laughs> exactly and like I disagree with Tommen on the beats but these are yeah, our babies I mean, you know
0: it's still that's you know Tommen outlawing beats is still not as bad as anything Joffrey did
1: agreed agreed and they're just so doomed it's so sad Joffrey, um, you know, going back to this idea of the Hound and what you were saying earlier of, like, oh, he doesn't, like, have the Hound beat Sansa. Like, here, we see Joffrey just gives in immediately, like, when the Hound laughs and he backs up Marcel, like, she's got you there. Because he just believes Sandor when, um, he says that, yes, you reap what you sow on your name day. Things like that. And how Joffrey gave up in in that chapter at the end of a game of thrones when sandra's like i don't remember making fun of rob stark joffrey just shuts up when like sandra says something for this you know for and i think this is for the same reason that joffrey doesn't order sandra around doesn't tell him to like hit his betrothed because i think joffrey really looks up to the hound as like this cool badass older kid who's actually like 27 and not a kid because like i'm (laughs) old af and i'm not that old i'm like i'm i'm like a year older than sandra but like he old um and Joffrey's, like, trying to impress Sandor, so he can't order the kid he's trying to impress around like that, because, like, Joffrey sees the Hound as the seasoned warrior, and you gotta, like, be respectful and, like, act cool around
0: him. Joffrey is straight up, like, when I grow up, I want to be burnt, like, that scary motherfucker, you know?
1: Yeah, he totally thinks, like, this is, like, a badass battle Yeah, and it's
0: not. It's abuse from Sandor's brother.
1: It's kind of funny and weird, then, that... Yep. Is literally that. Is that yep. brother. All right. I'm having light bulbs right now.
0: Well, why do you think, too, that Sandor is so protective over Sansa? And, of course, Arya eventually. But, I mean, Sandor is hmm. protective over Sansa from Joffrey because he sees Joffrey as that bully brother.
1: Oh, yeah. Because he is. And he's a bully brother even to, like, Tommen, who... This quote. I do love, I love this. this quote. Tommen gave a shout of joy and ran off to be readied. His chubby little legs pumping hard. Look, Sansa Aww. called out to him. The straw knight that Tommen faces though uh, wears antlers, and Sansa thinks uh, that's weird because like their father Robert wore antlers, and she's like, oh right, but like now their uncle Renly, who's considered a traitor, and because he's calling himself king, also wears antlers.
0: Tommen shouts Casterly Rock when he rides with his little sword to uh, go fight the straw man, and he of course loses, but we still uh, love him. But interesting enough, of course, Tommen does have a claim on Casterly Rock, and we can see how much the Lannisters are influenced in this, uh, how there isn't much of Robert left in these kids beside for Joffrey the Drunken Abuse. Tommen cries out about Casterly Rock for his war cry and not Storm's End, which Tommen is technically in line for Storm's End if Renly dies. It's interesting Cersei doesn't use the Robert Englemore in these first three books. I know they're kind of like, you know, they have war happening and such, but she doesn't press after the Stormland seat as much as I probably personally would to uphold my power and my incest babies, right? These are Robert's sons in the Eye of the World, and rightfully, their lands in the Eye of the Law. So, of course, yes, clashes the Stannis and Renly battle off and Stannis battling for the Iron Throne. And Cersei didn't really have time during that. But my plan of attack would have been try to go for Storm's End in the name of King Robert, like as soon as Renly dies, right? Harness that early, like we're doing this for Robert. It's just interesting. And yes, while Tommen has a claim on Casterly Rock, he's still two, three people away, right? He's still three people away until he gets that. So it's kind of like Storm's End should be what's in mind for him, but he's such a Lannister and not a Baratheon that here you are with Casterly Rock.
1: I was wondering why and that. I mean, I was thinking just like he was, he's been indoctrinated to all of that, but this is a great explanation. Love you. You're so smart. Love you too. Joffrey then laughs and because Tommen was beaten by a straw man. And then Marcella she cries, oh and then she runs to her brother because she's worried about him. And Sansa tells Joffrey, like, uh, you should probably go out there too and like run with Marcella. And she like is surprised because she like just feels like she can't stop herself from chastising him. Like, you should be out there. The hound, though, also compliments Tommen because our precious oh. baby boy. Not, Wait, not that baby boy, the other baby boy, Tommen. Tommen is the
0: underdog. Sandor, Sandor roots he... for Tommen because Sandor was Tommen. Oh,
1: he was. And they had a sister who was younger, but they still had a mm-hmm. sister who was also nice. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, the hound even says that Tommen has courage. He's... It's so, he does
1: have courage. You know? When
0: can a man be brave? When his face is pressed to a fire,
1: when he's humiliated himself in front of all these people because of oh. a straw knight, adorable. He doesn't care. He's gonna. He's doing the. He's doing it. He's getting back up. And Sansa, because of this, when she sees this, this wonderful oh. display from Tommen. She thinks she wouldn't have minded having to marry Tommen.
0: Interesting enough, later in Storm at Marjorie and Joff's wedding, Tyrion thinks on how Sansa would have made Joffrey a great queen. She would have made Joffrey a good queen and a better wife if he'd had the sense to love her. He wondered if his nephew was capable of loving anyone. Of course, he's right. I never shut up about it, but if Sansa had had the same counsel and education Marjorie did... You know, like her grandparents going to court, discussing with her father afterward. instead of shoving it under the carpet. There would have been no choice or chance for Joffrey to really set her aside this easily. Sansa's empathy and her courtesies are already strong. But after Ned dies, her growth gets stuck inside a tower. She's quietly waiting and suffering. She doesn't really get to let that flourish. So it's kind of like flowers. What happens when you give a flower water and sunlight and space to grow? you get Marjorie Terrell, which I do want to add in here. You like that? I thought that was good. Uh, And of course, I had to add in here, poor Quentin and I were just talking about how Cersei is a Venus (laughs) flytrap. So what happens when you lock away a flower in darkness and only let it do its rounds here and there? You know, Sansa plays this underground captive role and we see her come into her own more in A Feast for Crows, and especially in her sample Winds of Winter chapter, which, of course, we're going to go into on our Patreon sometime in the next couple months. But she gets to plan her entire own tourney. Her whole story has been outlined in layers of agency being taken away and tourneys and songs, and she finally gets the chance to orchestrate her own song and her own tourney in The Winds of Winter, her own feast and her own clever ploys.
1: Then the gates open, and to everyone's surprise, there are... Who who is this like they look real shabby they look very weird and injured they look like there's a bunch of them though but they kind of look like that scene um, in Mulan when the Huns pop out of the snow that's them right now but wait who's that over there oh look it's Tyrion amongst them and Sansa still thinks this is like not the greatest like observation on her part but she's still like oh Tyrion's still the ugliest man I've ever seen
0: well, but... some things never change yeah, but
1: I, I, I think this is an important observation on her part, because, of course, character arcs, and she's like, oh, Tyrion's, like, pretty nice to me, though, as he is in this chapter, which is, like, you know how it goes with the hound and stuff, whatever, and Tommen is super stoked, and he gallops towards Tyrion, uh-huh. he's like, he's like, I don't care about this, like, turn anymore, and he's, like, just so jazzed uncle to see his Tyrion's uncle. Here. I know. I love it. I love it. They're just so happy to see him and Tommen. He he's just shouting with glee. And then one of the mountain men like scoops Tommen up out of the horse somehow and like puts him down right next to Tyrion, which is like super adorable. And I don't remember reading that scene of like one of the mountain men like from the mountain clans picking him up and like that is just I love it.
0: There's also Tommen is the same height as Tyrion. Here uh, is remarked upon by Sansa. They're of a height together. So that's. Interesting. Like that gives you like an eye for it of what Tommen looks like.
1: Mm-hmm. It's still adorable.
0: Tyrion claps Tommen on the back and he scoops Marcella up into a hug. And it's just so precious, all of it. His reunion with Joffrey isn't isn't quite as cute. Yeah, there's there's some animosity no. there for sure. The hound comments yeah. that people thought Tyrion was dead.
1: And he's like, no, I'm not. And then Tyrion expresses some condolences for to people about the people who actually are dead like he gives some condolences to sansa for her losses and sansa understandably is like yeah is he making fun of me
0: everybody makes fun and, of her so
1: yeah i can see why she would think that but, like Tyrion legit means it yeah. and then he also says sorry to the loss that joffrey suffered as well joffrey's like what happened and he's like oh your dad died robert and then sansa rem- remembers her courtesies and then she goes like oh i'm sorry that my mom took you captive Tyrion."
0: We're all just being sorry right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. And this is that game where everyone's like, oh, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that.
0: We find out Jamie keeps losing battles, which is, of course, part of why Cersei's not here right now.
1: He's been taken by the Starks and we've lost Riverrun, and now her stupid brother is calling himself a king. The dwarf smiled crookedly. All sorts of people are calling themselves kings these days. That, there's that moment. Hey, Joff did not know what to make of that.
0: Tyrion says he brought Joff his wits for Joff's name day, and the Hound warns Tyrion to guard his tongue. Tyrion and Sansa have a small aside. She remarks on his injury, and Tyrion's like, you're sad because your dad's dead.
1: Yeah, he obviously doesn't know, right, that Joffrey's been beating Sansa every day yet. But, I mean, yes, she's also sad because her father's dead
0: my father was a traitor, Sansa said at once, and my brother and lady mother are traitors as well. That reflex she had learned quickly. I am loyal to my beloved Joffrey. No doubt as loyal as a deer surrounded by wolves. Lions, she whispered without thinking.
1: It's not super explicit, but it's definitely an overtone in Sansa's storyline. And you can feel George R. R. Martin channeling some of those biblical vibes in here with that idea of like being surrounded by lions and the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And like there's a whole story. He's going to tell us the story? But like the important parts are that Daniel gets thrown into a den of lions, and God protects him, so he comes out alive and unharmed. And that I think is very much the core of Sansa's storyline in *A Clash of Kings*, and of course *A Storm Swords*. Like she, she's harmed, but she's like not dead.
0: Interestingly enough, there's also a song by the band Bastille called "Daniel in the Den," based off of that kind of legend uh, and that biblical lore. And there's a quote, there's a lyric from it. I really, I suggest listening to it because it will blow your mind when you hear it. You'll be like, what? Because it's totally just Sansa Stark. But it, the lyric is, and you thought the lions were bad. Well, they tried to kill my brothers. And for every king that died, oh, they would crown another. I'm like, mind blown. That's just very Sansa.
1: I also just associate Bastille with uh, uh, A Song of Ice and Fire for an unrelated reason. It's very far removed. They had that song Pompeii,
0: right? Yeah. Didn't they
1: use that song in the movie Pompeii in which Ken Harrington stars? And that's why I associated it with the song of Ice and Maybe. I very far removed. I didn't watch that movie. I didn't watch it either. It's a very far removed. Yeah, very far removed. my story.
0: There's another thing uh, to go back to the biblical story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel is ascending to high office offered to him by Darius, right? But Darius is tricked into the lion's pit and he dies because Daniel couldn't save him. I mean, Ned, I mean, Daniel couldn't save him. So Ned dies. I mean, Ned dies, but Daniel lives on as a god after he doesn't die when he gets thrown in the pit. So the comparison stops there, but he's thrown to the lions, which of course gives you that imagery of Ned's head being thrown down on the steps of Baylor, and of course, Darius is a clear Robert Baratheon parallel.
1: Yes, and yes. Tyrion, though, he promises that he will not savage Sansa. He speaks more gently than Joffrey, she thought, but the Queen spoke gently to me too. He's still a Lannister her brother, and Joff's uncle, and no friend. Once she had loved Prince Joffrey with all her heart and admired and trusted his mother, the queen. They had repaid that love and trust with her father's head.
0: Sansa would never make that mistake again. Of course, what a badass line that tells you her story is not the story you thought it was in A Game of Thrones. She's done with the royals. She hates these people. She wants her family back. She hates her life. People doubt Sansa's Stark loyalty or something sometimes. And I don't I don't know what books they're reading. You know, I don't get it. I don't understand. If you doubt Sansa's intelligence, you're wrong and you should feel bad about it or no, whatever. But it, it, she's obviously a Stark. She thinks about her family this entire chapter. She compares little chubby blonde Tom into her brother Bran thinking about him. She thinks about, you know, her brother Rob constantly, her lady mother Sansa is very stark to the core, and this is the chapter in *Clash of Kings* that sets the stage and is telling you this is this is what her story is. Now it's not the same little girl that came to the capital in the first book.
1: Yeah, she's all like, "My big brother's the best. He's gonna beat you up," but nobody—they don't play fair. And also, regarding this, this, as you're saying, people who like are like, "Oh." Just misunderstanding Sansa. Like, yes, Tyrion is nice to her. So people are like, oh, she should like marrying Tyrion. And they're all like, oh, but she only hates him because he's ugly. And it's like, did you read this paragraph? And every single other time she thinks the same thing. Like, especially in Storm. Like, Sansa is given a choice, right? She can marry Tyrion or Lancel. And Tyrion's like, you can marry Lancel if you want. It's fine. Like, I get it. He's like, cuter than me, right? He's like, Jamie Light in terms of looks, apparently. But... It's not shallowness. Like, Sansa has a choice, and she picks Tyrion because he is nicer to her, but she's also like, I don't want any of them. I don't trust any of them. You killed my dad.
0: And by that point in the story, also her brother and mother, so... Yeah, like, why would she... Oh, she should feel lucky she got to marry the short, rapey one. Like, <laughs> you know, congrats.
1: Yeah, yeah, of of the people that, like, killed her family. This is awesome. I love this. That's yeah. so great.
0: Oh, yeah, let's just pick the least of the people that killed my family that still killed my family. They're all complicit. They're all Lannisters. <laughs> Fuck a Lannister. A clash of Kings. Fuck a Lannister. Except, except for Marcella and Tommen. Fuck a Lannister, am I right? Except Marcella and Tommen, who deserved better. They're beautiful and yes. willful and dead before their time. And <laughs>
1: Oh my god, they are a little. <laughs> Marcella is a little willful and so's Tommen. He has
0: courage. We're children. We should be childish. <laughs> Ugh. Poor oh. babes. That I, I, I think we had a little couple interesting things there with them. You know, I, I think that Sandor comparison is really important when you look at Tommen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Definitely. And he's like, why can't I serve that kid instead? And like, I also would love to have seen Arya and Marcella have more of a relationship. I think we were robbed of that. Hmm. Definitely robbed of that. I could see Arya just being like, how do I handle this girl? And Marcella just being like, why aren't we friends?
1: And also remember, Marcel's kind of shy, so she'd just be, like, with her head down, like, what is this? Yeah, can I play and with Ariad your be dog? Like, Arya'd be like, yeah, it's fine, come here, we're gonna make pies out of mud. And Marcel will be like, am I doing this right?
0: And she'd be like, don't worry, Nymeria will just lick you a lot, like, just real cute crap, Yeah. Yeah, This
1: is our AU. Our Welcome. AU. <laughs> Girl's gone uncannon. This is no, no longer canon. This is canon. Now canon.
0: Like, This is the story now. So if you don't like it, you can leave. It's literally just like the actual story, except it's completely different. Call back.
1: I mean, like season four, right? Oh, I love that. Like King Season Prince. four and season
0: five. And I and, think and six. with that, that brings us to the end of episode 23, A Clash of Kings. Sansa introduction and Sansa 1. Thanks so much for joining us, you guys.
1: Thank you. We're going to do the rest of these chapters
0: in this book. Oh my god, are we? Yeah, there's been like some very rumored words that we're going to get a 10 hour long Blackwater episode. Yeah, I mean. Because it's what I deserve.
1: Let's think about it. We'll think about it.
0: If you want to hear a 10 hour long Blackwater Sansa episode sound off at the podcast, you can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com or you could even hit us a tweet or a DM on Twitter at girlsgonecannon. Make sure to check out our Patreon. We have stickers for patrons that signed up before September 1st and paid us $10 or more going out very soon eliana has been decorating the envelopes they look great so check us out on patreon we have some really fun tiers we offer show notes and special episodes you name it patreon.com slash girls gone canon
1: guys this is actually happening i've gone to multiple post offices to get this like very specific stamp because it's like in line thematically and maybe you would rather have your stickers but like just it's gonna be rad
0: She's putting a lot of work into it. You're if you're getting one of these from Eliana, you're going to get a little piece of Eliana in it. Not like Theon really? style. i I'm not saying like piece of her skin, but you're gonna get you're gonna get some uh, of her I soul about in that. it for sure.
1: I could have clipped my fingernails and put them in okay. here. Okay, all right, and subscribe to us. You know, don't forget. Don't forget to uh, listen to our podcast in general. You know, like that's for freezes, right? You can uh, listen to us on iTunes, on Google Play, on Lista Chair, and on Acast. <laughs> also, of course, on Podbean, where we upload all the things. And host them, yes. So, and host them, yep. This is,
0: that's how that works. So be sure to join us next week for episode 24, Sansa 2 and Sansa 3 in A Clash of Kings. And as always, I have been one of your hosts Chloe, you can find me on the internet as at and Arbor on Twitter and arbor.tumblr.com where I write a Song of Ice and Fire meta-analysis and theorize and talk and stuff, whatever. I also have a podcast that is on a break called Drunk Song of Ice and Fire History. Check it out on Podbean or on YouTube. Yeah, bring it back. Someday. Someday. Life's hard. I'm
1: waiting for that. And I've... I'm Eliana, your other host, uh, known as Glass Table Girl on the Mason Monthly podcast, on the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, and a a Rhythmetric. I can't even say my fucking name on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, yeah, Twitter. All right, goodbye, <laughs> bye guys. Thanks so much.